Good morning and welcome to Politics and the Pulpit. My name is Reverend Chris Upton. I'm a Baptist minister accredited by the Baptist Union of Great Britain. For the last 23 years, I was the minister at West Lane Baptist Church in Haworth, but now I work as church funding officer for Christians Against Poverty and as the national lead to the Waterways Chaplaincy. Through both these roles, I am gaining an even wider perspective on how society is changing and on how politics and faith interact in the public sphere. Each week on the show, I'm joined by a guest from a different place and space, and today I'm very pleased to introduce the Right Reverend Sally Foster Fulton. She is the moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland for this year, and she's speaking to us from Edinburgh. Born and raised in South Carolina, she came to Glasgow to study on an exchange scholarship, then held roles as a hospital chaplain, Church of Scotland minister and co-pastor before taking up her role as the head of Christian Aid in Scotland in 2016. Welcome, Sally. Thank you. It is lovely to be here. The usual question is politics and pulpit. Well, they don't go together. But uh, what's your saying to that then? They absolutely must go together and, and not the, the little p politics, but but that overarching bias to the poor, call to be involved, call to use our voice and our actions to make a difference, especially for those who find themselves on the margin. So politics and the pulpit must go together. And we have a mandate from from, I believe, from Jesus to do this. Have you always held that position, Sally? Has it got stronger or weaker since you started working with Christian Aid? It's gotten much stronger, and I think that's been an evolution over over decades, to be honest. Um, I began as a parish minister in an area of multiple deprivation and saw systemic poverty um, on the coalface and realized that, and once you see systemic structural injustice in one place, it's it's not hard to recognize it in others. And so I think that began a journey that folk were um, several steps back before they even started. Um, and and that was that was due to structures that were put in place that kept people poor. Um, I then was convener of the Church and Society Council for the Church of Scotland. So we worked with folk in poverty. We worked on climate justice. We worked in education. And again, being able to see that consistent erosion of people's rights um, that, that poverty put, put them in that space. Um, and then I saw that globally with Christian Aid when I made that, that move. And again, from a local, a national, and a global perspective, um, we, have, we have a duty, not just to speak out, but to move over and seed the space so that people with lived experience um, find their voices and have a space. Thank you, Sally. We'll no doubt dig deeper into some of those sort of underlying DNA versions. Uh, before we look at our text, though, I'm going to flag up some headlines that might be uh, sadly in, in our news this week as we prepare for Sunday preaching. The conflict in Gaza, Israel still rages and the death toll increases. The border with Egypt has been opened and some convoys have come through. We'll see how that goes. Sadly, perhaps because of this, anti-Semitism has increased hugely in the UK at the moment. The war in the Ukraine still continues, with Russia still trying to take Avidivka. 
Storm Babette over the weekend caused huge floods and disruption, many trains and motorways being closed. There are presidential elections going on in Venezuela and Argentina. In Iceland, women and non-binary people, some women and non-binary people, are striking on Tuesday, calling for equal pay and action on gender-based violence. And if we thought we had it bad with the rains, try going to India. Huge floods in Sikkim state. It continues to be Black History Month in the UK, and on the 24th, it is United Nations Day. Just some of the things going on perhaps outside our immediate purview as we preach this week. So according to the lectionary, we have readings from Deuteronomy 34, 1 to 12, the death of Moses, interestingly dying at the Lord's command. And very interestingly, although he was buried, no one knows where. What are we going to make of that? Psalm 90, possibly a psalm of Moses, possibly the oldest of the psalms, often used at funerals. Uh, and books of Leviticus and Psalm 1 in the alternate lectionary. But from the epistle 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul writes about his and the uh, congregation there's healthy and loving motives for sharing the gospel. And then a classic text from Matthew 22, which is the greatest commandment, ending with love your neighbour, but not with the parable of the Good Samaritan like Luke, but a seeming trick question back from Jesus to the Pharisees. Sally, I can see a little smile coming into your face there at the last one. Where, where are you starting with your thoughts on this week's lectionary texts? Funnily enough, um, I began my, my thinking with the Exodus passage, um, the death of Moses. And I've always been intrigued by that because I think the Sunday school party line that I grew up with was that this was a punishment that he was able to see the promised land but not enter it um, because of earlier transgressions. But actually, the more I grapple with it, um, one thing came to me, and that's that there's always going to be a time when we don't get to be there, but we still are called to work for peace and justice and reconciliation. And that that glimpse of the promised land was actually a gift and we all have those glimpses of what peace and justice and equity can look like, and we're called to work for them. So I think that that twisting of that passage and, and not looking at it from that Sunday school party line of a judgment on Moses, but actually it says, you know, that he was the greatest prophet and there's never been another one like Moses. Um, but it also moves after the 30 days into that space where, you know, there, there's a there's a raising up of the next one. And that there, you know, that Joshua, son of Nun, is full of the spirit because Moses had an impact on his life. So, again, it's about what what seeds we might be planting in in the next generation and, and the folk that are coming after us. Um, so for me, that's where my my grappling began. Um, my my smile at the um, at the gospel passage there. I absolutely love this passage. Um, and at the very beginning of it, it talks when Jesus says, you know, that on these two hang all the law and the prophets. The word is actually in the original text hinges. So it's like the hinges of a door 
love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. If the door is going to open properly, those two hinges have to be firmly in place. If one isn't, then the door hangs funny. It doesn't open, it sticks. So I love that image. And then in this version, when this enters into that discussion, that weird discussion at first about um, about Moses and about about that that naming um, or, or the son of David, it it's basically it's not I don't think a trick. I think it's it's basically unveiling the customs that we use to blow a smoke screen and saying the authority for his speaking is coming from his actions and from God, and it doesn't matter about some of these conventions that we throw in front of ourselves to stop truth coming to us. So that was why the smirk, because I've been still mm. grappling with what in the world is that doing there at the end? Um, and I think whenever you see something like that, um, that's an invitation to take a step back and dive in deeper. Um, so, so I think that's where I was coming from. Thank, thanks, Sally. So I, I noted, I think for the first time in the, uh, in the Deuteronomy reading, this idea that, yes, Moses has died at the Lord's command. And, you know, you know the Sunday school judgment on the death comes through. you know, And then the next line, buried in the Valley of Moab, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering about, well, what would have happened if we had known his burial place? Would mm -hmm. we have ventilated his shrine like no one's business? Would we have fought over who occupied his shrine and the sort of value of allowing people to go anonymously rather than pinning our hopes on on a rose-tinted view of have you any bounce off that maybe or i really like that so i'm gonna nick it so just be prepared for it. <laughs> i think that's the whole point of of this conversation now, I, I absolutely love that because it is is it it is our tendency, isn't it, to 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 put a marker in place and and then that can become a barrier um, rather than than a marker. So the fact that we don't know where he is doesn't impact on on the legacy that's been left and and probably increases it in so many different ways. And and to allow our actions to speak for themselves without having to. Um, to have some marker, and that kind of flows into the Thessalonians passage a wee bit, doesn't it? Um, you know that our our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery. It's and and then it moves quickly about you know the words not being about flattery or greed, but we were gentle among you. So it mm -hmm. it moves away, you know quickly away from what the words might be saying to what the actions are showing, um, and and so that 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 tension. You know, of saying your words are important, but actually what's going to speak most loudly is is the way you behave, how you treat people and, and who comes first in your queue. I wonder where, um, yeah, gentle is just a fantastic word, isn't it? And yeah. I, I hadn't really noticed that, I suppose. I, I'm really aware that preachers often in my head bang the the pulpit and are sort of loud and shiny but the idea of we were gentle among you like a nurse tenderly caring for her children yeah that feels like a really powerful thing it, it is and i think you know it, it it moves into her own children she's not babysitting 
she's these she's treating these children like her own you are mine and mm. and for us to move into that space where we you know where when we look in the face of another human being we see the face of god and we act and respond accordingly um that's a powerful call um and one sometimes we forget and and you know when you were going through our our list of, of what's in the news this week you know that does that, that prayer from God for us to recognize each other and, and, you know, the divine in each of us and treat each other the way that God would treat us um, is hugely complicated and yet so simple. It's so hard. Mm. Um, and yet what we're called to, and, you know, as you look at the trickle of aid going into Gaza, um, there's still no way out if, if mm. you look at, you know, the inhumanity we saw in those attacks from Hamas, um, how do we hold on to each other as we, how do we take care of our sisters and brothers um, in our Jewish communities in the UK who are experiencing, as you said, higher degrees of, of anti-Semitism um, here because of what's happening somewhere else and that conflation of a political you know, a political thing and, and a faith thing um, and how easy it is to tip into that very dangerous space where we don't see each other anymore. Hmm. All right, Sally, we've got, we've got plenty of time. I'm going to really put you on the spot then. So mm -hmm. what would you preach on, on this coming Sunday? Would it depend where you were preaching? Would it depend on what was in the newspaper that morning because it's it's monday today and a whole week might happen when when and where do you really crystallize down what your sermon for this sunday coming is right it guttles all week long and and changes and percolates as, as we go and i think it's impacted by by shifts in the news um i think it would be you know if you know if something monumental or catastrophic happens on a Friday or Saturday, you need to be able to shift into that space because people need to hear from the yeah. context they're living in. And and yeah. so I think that's that's vital. I think right now that hinges on that door and love your neighbor and love love God are 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 really resonating with me. Um mm -hmm. and, and how we keep those those two hinges well oiled and solid. Um, mm. in the face of a lot of banging on that door. Um, in my mind right now, that's the theme or the filter through which the rest of the sermon will will come through. That That's kind of where I am. I'm also very um, pulled, and I have to say I'm grateful for being invited into this space because I probably wouldn't have grappled with Thessalonians. That would not have been my, my natural mm. habitat. I would have mm. gone straight into the old, you know, into some of the other stuff. And I really do appreciate the subtlety and the nuance in that, in the words and the actions. And the, mm. I'm tenderly caring like your, uh, like your mind. Um, mm. I, I really think that those, the, those resonate deeply. So that's where I would be going. Um, I've been reading our Scottish Church's parliamentary office has has done a, a bit of work on the cost of living crisis and, mm. and cap comes into this quite mm. strongly as well. And, and looking at the figures that are genuinely, when we scratch the surface, unprecedented 
the levels of poverty um, <clears throat> in Scotland at the mm. moment are, are huge and across the UK. And the fact mm. that 50% of the people that Christians Against Poverty are working with, when they help them get through the debt, 50% still have an unsustainable income, which means yeah. they don't have enough money to pay their bills, yeah. their basic bills. And so they're going to find themselves thrown back into debt and poverty. You know, it's really, really difficult. I, I've been the church funding officer since January this year, so I really don't have a much of a history. But when I took up the post, I listened hard to my predecessor and other members of the external affairs team. And they were quite clear, I think, that 10 years ago, we would help people get out of debt and then a stable footing would naturally come or more naturally come. And now... It is a double struggle to get people out of debt. But then, the, sadly, one of the normal things is it's so hard to stay out. It's the, the, the last 3%, you know, we're now below the line. It's back to that Dickens, 20 shillings and sixpence or 19 and six, and, and we're there. We're not quite making it. And how hard it is. And in some areas of the country, Scotland, the north of England, it's so different to Westminster and and I had a slight follow-up question that may be slightly different. It, I'm gathering your your Scottish accent isn't kicking in just yet. Do you still feel like an outsider when you're preaching in Scotland? I'm from the south of England. I live in Yorkshire. I still feel like a southerner in someone else's space. Does that sort of outsider nature influence your preaching? That is a really interesting question, Chris, and I would have to honestly say no. I've okay. been here for 34 years, so I feel very much that Scotland is is home. Yeah. Um, and and so I and so I don't. I do think it's important for me, though, not to make assumptions about what perceptions people might have yeah. about that. So the fact that I don't feel that outsider syndrome doesn't mean that that people might not perceive it. So mm. I do need to be sensitive about that. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I think, you know, use, use we and, you know, in the context that, that we find ourselves and be sensitive to it. Mm. Um, I, I think, you know, an, another kind of Scotland and it's, and, and it isn't just in, in Scotland, but I think there are spaces where it, it really comes to the fore is, is rural poverty. Um, and the, you know, the, the premium that the poverty premium that people have to pay um, or are forced to pay if they live in inaccessible remote places. Things cost more um, from the get-go. You know, your the services that you need, medical services, you know, transport, shopping, it all costs much more in time and money to get there. And, and so that premium um, is difficult and it's often quite hidden in rural mm. spaces as well. Mm. So, so that's something, again, depending on where I'm traveling to, that I need to be very aware of when I'm preaching. Thank you, Sally. So we've spoken, we've spoken about the text, we've spoken about poverty. Um, and so half of my job is, is Christians Against Poverty. Half is the national lead to the waterways chaplaincy. And we deal with maybe 30,000 boaters living perhaps some below the poverty line, invisibly having to move on. But we're a chaplaincy. We're, we're not a campaigning group 
and we wrestle with preaching as opposed to sort of prophecy and balancing messages of hope with challenging the unjust structures. And you've spoken about that as well already. Are you more naturally a sort of a flag-waving prophet or, or a uh, comforting priest in the pulpit? Does it depend on the text? Does it depend on the clients or the congress? Or, yeah. I think it, de it depends on the text. It depends on the context. It depends on what's happening. But I always think you hold that in, in balance and intent that tension. And, and mm. that that's okay. It's not a binary. There's a continuum. Mm. And so where there is challenge, there, there's, there's always hope, you know, and I think to be able to, one of the myths I like to bust in, in Christian aid is this, this myth of donor and recipient. You know, we ride it on the white charger and, and people passively, gratefully accept things. That is absolutely not what happens. The people with the lived experience are the experts. They are the ones who know what they need in order to thrive. And we are there to support. Um, and you always find that the people working hardest are those who want those changes in, the, in their lives. And so to be able to say to people, here, here's a here's a glimpse of hope. You know, um, I remember going and I've, I've used this story several times, but one of my first trips with Christian Aid was to Malawi. Um, there was a Scottish government um, funded um solar irrigation system but um, we went to visit a women's empowerment group um and it was five years the project was five years old and it was ending and so i said to the um to some of the women in the in the group um or how are you feeling about this project ending and they quickly they quickly put me to rights and said this project is not ending it is just beginning yeah. and i thought yeah. okay and there you go there you go. That's that. That's hope in the face of, of unprecedented challenges. I've just finished reading Toxic Charity, the book. Mm. I think it was in the late 90s, and it was the shift from community support uh, from community development. And that, yeah, that, that, that resonates well, that we, yeah, we mustn't ever fly in or, or speak for Um You've used the phrase glimpse a few times. Um, and I remember Reverend Dr. Pat Took used the idea that we live uh, from one glimpse of God to the next and that that is what faith is. And it felt like a really useful metaphor. Um, and yet I always want more than just a glimpse. Am, am I wanting more? Is a glimpse all that we can hope for from one Sunday to the next? Absolutely not. And I, I hear you. And I think probably for me, a, a better or more powerful or more relevant image may be a spark because a spark you can blow on, a spark okay. you can you can get to catch fire and take hold and grow and leverage and scale and become something you never expected um, or you did expect. But you you had the gumption and and the and the the audacity to believe it might be happy it might be true and and for me it's those those sparks we're called to to fan into something different and into into a flame. And so a spark, than a glimpse, a spark. A spark is inherently dangerous because we don't know where it's jumping. It can come out and burn us, or it can mm -hmm. go. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of 
Yeah. And I guess the divine spark, you know, we're back to um, those early church fathers about we all hold the divine spark within within oh, us. Definitely. Just and I mean, yeah, I mean, there's that wonderful story from the Mishnah about the, the divine light so that when the, the story says that when when God created the world, God built the, made these beautiful glass cases for the divine light but the divine light was too powerful and they shattered and those mm -hmm. sparks went into everything. So into humans, into the ground, into the wood, into everything. And it's our job to release the sparks. And I just thought, I just think that's a beautiful story um, and, and has a lot to say to us about what we're called to do. And I've never heard that story and I've been preaching for years uh, yeah, so I'm going to go back to Google, I guess, and find that story. But yeah, maybe I won't preach. Maybe I'll just tell that story this week. Okay. Sally, thank you ever so much for your comments and your reflections, giving us a window into how and why Christian Aid Scotland works so well. Have you any final thoughts for us? Any final comments before I wrap us up? Well, I, because we didn't talk about the psalm, I think one thing that did I, I find that psalm, again, that tension between, you know, turmoil and trouble and that desire to be alive. You know, the first six verses talking about, you know, how how transient life is, but it's still spectacularly beautiful. You know, you've got the, you know, the grass is renewed in the morning. You sweep them away like they're a dream. But there's still that. But we still matter. You know, and so with that grappling throughout that psalm, it's it's a wonderful psalm. But the way that it ends is is talking about, you know, prosper the work of our hands, God. You know, we're not going to be here forever, but but let what we touch positively impact on others. And so, again, you know, it's that more than just us, but we matter. You know, I'm, I'm going to read that out just for our yeah. listeners. So the second half of Psalm 90. Turn, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us and as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be manifest to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and prosper us for the work of our hands. Oh, prosper the work of our hands. Yeah, trying to comment on those timeless words is tricky. It's just let them rest. Mm -hmm. I guess... Uh, and I hadn't focused on that last line until you just pointed it out, this idea that... We are co-creators with God. We are not consumers. Mm -hmm. uh, I often fall into that consumptive attitude. Prosper the work of our hands. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much, uh, Sally. It's been it's been great to to share this brief time with you. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and reflections. And thanks to the rest of you that are either watching or listening with us online. 
are thinking about how we might preach politics from the pulpit this week. If you've enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and do share this episode with your friends. And Sally knows where you live, so all you Christian aid workers out there, you need to share this now. We also have online spaces for further engagement and discussion about faith and politics on Twitter, uh, my mistake, X, whatever that is, at politics underscore pulpits or using hashtag politics in the pulpit. And we have a Facebook group which you can access through the joint public issues team. So let's go into both our politics and our pulpits with a blessing. And then, Sally, forgive me, I've stolen this largely from Christian Aid and slightly amended our blessing today. Lord, in this season of change and uncertainty in your church and in the world, give us a vision of the future. Give us courage to embrace change, to welcome new opportunities, to see new possibilities. And may we know you are with us yesterday, today and tomorrow. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sally. God bless and God bless you all. Thank you, Chris. It was lovely to speak to you. Go well this week. And you.